Well, I hope you had a good New Year and uh, good Christmas season in general. Got to see, uh, hopefully, got to see friends, family. We are. We are almost done. We have wa- we had waves of family coming in um, to the house, and we had a great time uh, with them. We're going to spend some time with some friends tonight, and I think we're going to be done. Hopefully, with all the 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 one party after another, after another, after another. Uh, we're a little tired. Our uh, our family is, uh, I think, probably because of all the busyness, uh, has gotten sick. Our immediate family's fine, other than Ellie's been a little sick. Uh, but our extended family, you can see Mark and Christine aren't here this morning and their family, they're not feeling well. Some of the family that went home are not feeling well. Um, so hopefully you guys are all feeling fine. I know there's something circulating through uh, Tehama County right now, uh, which is um, nasty. Um, not COVID, but uh, I guess COVID's still around too, huh? Um, we are... Uh, Starting the new year, it is 2022. Uh, how, many, how many of you guys stayed up till midnight on, on uh, December 31st? Uh, almost half of us. Yeah, yeah, that's not bad. Um, I did, but only because people were at my house keeping me awake. Uh, I probably would have fallen asleep. Um, so we're into a new year. Um, usually the first Sunday of the year, um, I'll talk about kind of... Um, my hope for us uh, this next year, usually that's, uh, that's some sort of spiritual principle um, that I'd like us to take hold of uh, over the next year. Um, this Sunday is not going to be that. Uh, in fact, what I'm going to cover this morning, um, I would say, is full of man-made ideas, not God-made ideas. So I just want to prep you for that. Um, these are, um, most of these principles... Um, you wouldn't find directly in Scripture. Um, you'll find some, some ideas along these lines that come out of Scripture. Uh, I think a lot of these ideas come from some of what we see in the early church. Um, but these are human, man-made thoughts, which means they don't have to direct our lives. Um, it, it means uh, we don't have to submit to their, their authority. Um, but what this is, is this is our vision for our church and where we're, uh, where we're headed um, and how we think it's best to get where we think we're headed, um, kind of our unique vision for us here at Grace Community Fellowship. Um, every church uh, I've ever been a part of, uh, every church I've ever had a loose association with, because I know, you know, pa- I've known pastors over the years who, um, who lead churches and things like that, um, the, every church kind of has a little different take on what the church is supposed to be, uh, what, what their particular ministry is supposed to be. This is kind of our vision of what our ministry here is supposed to be. And in fact, a lot of these things, all of these things that we'll cover, the main points, uh, we covered back in, I covered back in early March um, when we were talking about kind of uh, the, the new direction that we were going or, or some new directions that we were going. Uh, at that time, I apologized because um, we were making a number of changes here, um, and the question kept coming up, why are we doing that? What's the purpose of this? Um, why are we changing things? Um, and so we, we, were, we were making changes with not explaining why we were making changes. So we, we flipped that, and we decided, oh, we're going to explain why, the, the why behind things, um, and then the changes hopefully will make sense because they fit in with the why, Right? Now we are 
I don't know, March is the third month of the year, so we're nine months later, um, maybe t- close to 10 months later. And um, we've made, obviously, quite a few ch- physical changes uh, in the room. We're not done yet. Um, some changes in the way that we do certain ministries. Um, and those all come out of these broader ideas of vision. Um, but as, uh, as we continue to make changes, as we continue to, to, to look for what we're doing here ministry-wise, I want to keep these in front of us so that we have an idea of, of, of where we're headed, where the leadership wants to go, and hopefully something that you can get on board with and say, hey, I want to go this direction. Um, and maybe you won't. Maybe you will find that, that for you, you go, ah, I don't know if I... I buy all this vision stuff. I don't know if this is the direction I would take the church if I was in charge of the church or whatever. That's fine. We can disagree about those things. Again, this, these are not God, I, God's ideas. These are man's ideas. So we can disagree about these things. Um, what we need to do, though, as we talk about these things, and maybe as you uh, have a disagreement with maybe a certain direction that the church is going, we do have a responsibility within that. Uh, and, and there's a couple of things I want to cover here. One is this in Philippians 2. It says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. And do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So as we discuss these things, as we talk about these things, even if you're maybe disagreeing with a certain direction that we're going uh, as a church, disagree with something that the leadership has decided we're going to go this direction, um, what you can't do is be self-seeking, right? We can't be that. That's not what we're called to. Jesus is the ultimate example of selflessness. We cannot seek our own, which is really hard, I think, in our modern church culture because um, we have built the American church, in my opinion, around the individual, right? So you're, you, you have an assumption, I'm not saying you in particular, but most people coming into church have an assumption that I'm coming to a church that is meeting my needs. And if it's not meeting my needs, I'll just go down the streets to one that does meet my needs, right? It's very consumer-driven. That is not the early church model. That's not the biblical church model. We should not have that attitude. Even though our broader church culture promotes that, we should not have that attitude. Instead, we should be looking for ways to lay down our preferences, right? Lay down our, our hobby horses. Lay down the things that we, we think are really, really important for the sake of others. That's what we should do. And we should be seeking to have the same mind, the same love, united in spirit. Now, that sounds crazy, I think, when you think about the church, or, or really any endeavor, but you think about the church, most people, the, the general opinion that I find that is out there is churches are going to backbite and fight and gossip, and there's going to be division within the church. I don't know why we assume that. That's not the biblical church. The biblical church is united in spirit, intent on one purpose, right? And I think, to me, the, the greatest example of this, or, or one of the examples that comes to my mind, is sports. You get a bunch of people who are very, very, very different, have lead very, very different lives, have very, very different opinions about things, but if they like a particular sports team, they're all getting in that stadium and ch- chanting as, as loud as possible, cheering for their team, right? And they're getting crazy about it, right? I'm super excited. The Dolphins are winning a lot of games right now. They actually can still get into the playoffs, even though they started one and seven. 
Anyway, I won't talk about that, but I'm really excited about that, right? Because I love the Dolphins, right? And I'm with other Dolphin fans who are really excited about what's going on. Why? Because we have one goal, and that goal is that the Dolphins win, they go to the playoffs, they win the Super Bowl, which is going to happen, by the way. Um, but uh, that's what we want, right? That's what we desire. And so we can all get around all these different backgrounds, all these different uh, people can get around one cause and have the same mind about something, right? We can all get around the cause of Jesus Christ as our Lord, right? We can all get around the cause of, trying to, of that we want to be glorifying him. We want to be impacting our world and our community for the name of, of Christ, right? We can all agree on these things. This is the way that we can, we can fundamentally uh, have the same mind, one mind. Now, we might disagree on how to get that done, but that should not divide us because we're all the same, right? We all want the same thing. Just like I might disagree with what, the, what plays the coaches call on the Dolphins or whatever. I might disagree with, you know, them trading a player or whatever. But, like, I have any say in that. But anyway, um, but we, I can agree with all the other fans out there that go, we want them to win, right? We want Jesus glorified. We can be unified around that, right? Um, and this morning, we're just talking about how we think best to get that done. Um, second thing is this. For you are called to freedom, brethren, only do not let, turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. There's another way that this whole thing can go, which is that we can decide that we're going to be selfish, that we're going to be self-centered, that, that my opinion is going to matter more than anybody else, that I'm going to be the squeaky wheel, that I'm going to cause issues uh, every time I disagree with something, I'm going to make sure everybody knows my opinion. Um, we can go that direction, but it's going to destroy us. It's going to consume us. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be consumed. I want God glorified. I want to be of one mind, right? And I think we can, we can all agree on that. So let's get into this. Um, you will notice that the handout is a little different this morning. It's actually two-sided. Um, the left side, I'm going to go over the main vision points, which uh, if you have a good memory and you remember nine months ago, you might remember some of these things. You can fill them in in, in advance. Um, on the right side, this is the brainstorming side. So as I go through these, these ideas, um, I'm going to encourage you to be brainstorming about how we can do this as a church, how we can accomplish these particular points as a church. And, um, and you can fill those in, you know, as much as you want. And then at the end, this is perforated. I'm going to ask you to break it apart and leave this side in the baskets that are on the counter back there. Uh, because I want to look through your brainstorming. And in fact, we're going to, I'll talk about this in a second. Uh, we're going to put together a, a group of people talking about vision. I want that group of people to be able to, to pour over your guys' great ideas about how we get this done. Um, so please be filling that out as we go. All right. After all that, let's get into this. What we're talking about this morning is how we can best fulfill the purpose for why, why God still has us here. The assumption is that God's going to have us here forever. Well, that's not true, right? God has been sustaining this thing called Grace Community Fellowship, used to be Community Baptist Church. For as long as it's been here, every single week, God's sustaining it, okay? So we're still here. Why does he have us still here? Well, let's try to figure that out. What kind of church do we want to be, 
right? Different churches doing different things, different philosophies. Most of those philosophies, there's nothing wrong with those philosophies, nothing, nothing sinful, not, nothing that, uh, that, yeah, that is wrong. Um, but it's just a particular way to get things done, okay? So how do we do our particular thing here at Grace Community Fellowship? Um, and what is our role to, to play in this community? Okay, a number of churches in the community all love Jesus, all want to follow Jesus with their lives, all want to impact the community in the way that they're impacting the community. What's our role to play? How do we fit? All right, let's get to the first one here. First one is this. We're choosing to be next-gen focused. Next-gen focused. More than two-thirds of our current congregation is 60-plus. I think just knowing that information, I think we can all agree that we need to be building into the next generation, right? We probably can. Maybe you would disagree. I think we need to recognize that, right? We could decide, hey, you know what? What we want to do is we want to make this thing about us that are here and not building into the next generation, and we could do that. We could choose to do that, and there would be nothing wrong with that necessarily, but then likely, just by the way things go, um, eventually this church would close up shop, right? Because 60-plusers, you've got, what, 20, 30 years max, right? I hate to break that to you, but that's probably true, um, right? <laughs> and so <clears throat> we can just look inward and go, hey, you know what, we're going we're gonna to stick with this um, and, and just do our own thing, make ourselves happy, um, and then we'll close up shop here in a little bit. And churches close up shop every week, every month that follow that model, right? We think, as the leadership here, I think that we need to be about the next generation. We need to be about investing in them. The normal trend in a church, I'm going to give credit to the guy who said this, Stephen Foster, who's a ministry leader in London, he says, the normal trend in the church is to go upward in age and inward in focus. And I think that's true. The normal trend is upward in age, because you can't really stop that, right? And inward in focus, making it more and more and more about my comfort, my thing. And he says, in order to to, to break that, we've got to be intentional about pushing downward in age and outward in focus. And I would agree with that. I think, I think we need to be intentional about that. If we're not intentional, then what's, it, we're just going to go the normal way, which is upward in age and inward in focus. Second point here. Um, We're going to tend towards styles and modes and the modes of the younger generations in non-essential matters. We will tend towards styles and modes of younger generations in non-essential matters. Now then the question immediately comes up, what's essential? Well, the essential things are the things, are the core tenets of the faith, okay? This is a picture of our statement of faith that you can find on the website. These things are essential. These things we will not diverge from. Okay, the authority of Scripture, the, the inerrancy of Scripture, we will not, we will not div, di, divert from that at all, no matter what, what the next generation wants 
or not, right? What, what, what they tend toward or not, what our culture tends toward or not. We're not going to move away from that. We're not going to move away from the persons of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're not going to move away from these core tenets of the faith, right? One of the things happening in our, in our society, uh, this will not be a surprise to you, is uh, we are getting farther and farther away from a biblical sexual ethic in our country, right? We can all agree on that in our world, really. Okay, um, so uh, this is a Gallup poll of, of 15,000 Americans. Uh, question is, is cohabitation a good idea? Is it good to, to live with your boyfriend or girlfriend prior to getting married, right? 65% agree. 35% disagree, okay? This is not a surprise to us, right? This is how our culture works right now. In fact, um, most people would say, hey, you know what? Um, I've got to try this out. I've got to test this out before I buy the car, right? I've got to test this out before I get married. That actually, there's actually some logic to that, right? Like, man, you don't want to get into something like marriages break down all the time. There's a high rate of, of divorce in our country. So why not test drive it for a little while, see if it works, and then get married after we figure out whether it works, right? There's some logic to that. Um, so these people are agreeing with that. When you look at, at uh, the breakdown of, of believers to non-believers, right, 41% of practicing Christians would agree with the statement, we should cohabitate before we get married. So don't just say, oh, it's, it's them, right? It's those people over there. It's all the, the people who don't care about the Bible, who don't care about Jesus, who don't care about God, who have this opinion. 41% of people who practice Christian, Christianity, which means they go to church on a regular basis, believe that cohabita cohabitation is a good idea. So it's in here too, right? Generationally, um, you can see the younger you go, the more believe that cohabitation is a good idea. In fact, millennials, 72% think that you should live with your boyfriend or girlfriend before you get married to them. So what we might say, do I have one more? Oh, I do have one more. Uh, oh, by the way, um, the people who say you shouldn't cohabitate before you get married, only 28% believe you shouldn't cohabitate before you get married because people should not have sex before they're married. Because people should not have sex before they're married. Only 28%. Which I think I figured out a calculation there. Maybe I didn't. But it's a small percentage of people who say you shouldn't cohabitate before you get married because sex before marriage is not good. Now we have the biblical idea. For this reason, a man should leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The only time you become one flesh is when you're ready to commit to lifelong marriage. But from the beginning of creation, God made, this male, made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer one, two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Sex belongs where? Inside of marriage. Only ever inside of marriage. Now, if someone wants to talk about cohabitating with not having premarital sex, okay, we can have that conversation, but let's be real, okay? That's not what's happening. 
Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Anything outside of sex within the lifelong commitment of marriage does not belong biblically. But what we could decide is, you know what, in order to reach the next generation, if we want to be next-gen focused, let's downplay this. Let's say it's not that big of a deal whether you cohabitate with someone before you're married. Well, we're not going to do that. Why? This is essential, right? We're not going to divert from biblical teaching on things in order to reach the next generation. It's just not going to happen. So what are we willing to do when we say we're next-gen focused? What are we willing to uh, be flexible on? Non-essential matters. Paint colors, which eventually this will be painted, right? Um, The order of service. What we put in the service, what we don't put in the service. How many songs we do. How, uh, do we do a lot? Do we do a few? The style of music. The, the lighting styles. Dress code. These things are all flexible things. Right? They're non-essential matters. And so in non-essential matters, we're going to lean into the next generation. Um, modern approaches to, uh, oh, not that one yet. Modern approaches to visual media, right? Back when you guys were younger, when I was younger too, I'm old, we had overhead projectors, right? The little transparency film that you flipped, someone was up here just standing here and flipped one down and it projected up on, on the screen, right? And we were like, oh, that's cool technology, right? Um, and then we moved to PowerPoint, static PowerPoint presentations. Um, and we want to lean more and more into to, uh, engaging visual media presentations, right? But a big reason why I use Prezi uh, is because it's more engaging than static PowerPoints, right? And we want to lean into that direction. We want to lean into the, the, the lyrics on the screen having engaging visual media, right? Because the next generation... They're visual learners, right? They were built on this visual media stuff, so we want to lean into that. We want to move from uh, phone-driven prayer chains, right? You remember that, where someone called you, and you called the next person, they called the next person, right? And now we've moved to, you know, social media, and we're posting on Facebook, and it gets it out there real quick, and people are praying, and we're texting, and we're doing those kinds of things, right? We've moved uh, communication mediums from tapes and CDs um, to podcasts and Facebook Live. And right now we're, we're streaming to Facebook Live, right? And there's people right now listening to this at home, right? Um, this, we lean into this technology and, and it, it costs money and it, and it costs human effort to get this done, right? There's guys standing back there. Tony's back there. Hey, Tony. Tony's job is to stream us, right? And to record us, right? Because we want to lean into that stuff. Um, the greatest example to me of this, or one of the great examples to me of this, is, is Chuck Smith. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He started the Calvary Chapel, uh, the first Calvary Chapel, um, uh, Costa Mesa, yes. And um, now I'm not, I'm not endorsing everything that Chuck Smith does, but I do endorse this part of his philosophy. Okay, 60s and 70s, you had this big Jesus movement thing happening where all these hippies were coming to Jesus, right? And so... Um, the church was happy with this, okay? But they were saying, yeah, come join us, right? Come be involved with us, um, but make sure you cut your hair and put on a tie and a suit before you come to church on Sunday morning, right? You need to become like us to be among us. 
And Chuck Smith said, no, that's not the way to do it. He said, you just come how you are, right? Wear your bell-bottom jeans and your, you know, what do you call that collar, the big super fly collar? You know, like, keep your hair long, right? Uh, If you haven't showered today, it's fine. Come on in, right? Like, he wanted people to come just how they were. And guess what? Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa blew up and churches kept being formed. Why? Because he cared about meeting people where they are, right? I think we need to care about that same thing. We need to be finding these non-essential things to be a little flexible on in order to meet people where they are, okay? Again, we're not changing essential things. Um, 18, I'm going to use this Barna poll a number of times. They did a massive Barna poll on the next generation, excellent stuff. Um, In that poll, 18 to 35-year-old Christians, these are Christians who attend church, 35% say they don't connect well with their church. 35%, that's one-third. They don't connect well. There might be some in the younger generations this morning that are like, yeah, that's me. Like, if I filled out that poll, I would say that. Um... 32% say they don't fit in with any church community. That's a a third, right? This this should be something we're concerned about, especially if we're thinking about the next generation and leaning into that. Well, how can we help that generation connect well? How can we help that generation fit in and go, "This this is my place. This is a place for me. Third thing. We're going to put a focus on generational discipleship. And I'll talk more about this here in a second. But the idea is that older generations are building into younger generations, um, are, are teaching younger generations what the faith is, is about, how to trust God through difficult circumstances, right? How to, how, to, how to be married, right? Some of you guys have been married 50 years, right? And you got someone who's been married five months. Well, they need some wisdom right? So building into the next generation with discipleship opportunities uh, and, and looking for ways to create real opportunities for discipleship among age groups. Um, again, in this poll, Barna found that 18 to 35-year-olds feel most connected with people of their same age across the world than they do with someone in an older generation in their same town. Catch that? They, they feel more connected, a, a 20-year-old kid feels more connected with a 20-year-old kid in France or Zimbabwe than they do with a 50-year-old in Red Bluff. We got to do something about that, right? We have to find a way to bridge generations, to teach the next generation to do the things that we do. Maybe not in the same way we do it, but the things that we do. Investing in their growth and their development and then releasing them to ministry. Here's some philosophical pieces, just some things to, to hold in mind. I'm going to go over these pretty quickly. Authenticity over polish. Younger generations play a high, place a high priority on genuineness. I remember when I was younger, um, I did a lot of worship leading. Uh, I was in charge of a lot of worship teams. And we would have these conversations that I think back now and I go, those are kind of silly conversations. But we had them, like with the singers, hey, make sure you got your facial expression going on when you're leading worship on Sunday morning, right? Because people would need to know that you're worshiping. And and if you sing songs like this all the time, then people will think you're not worshiping, right? So you've got to put it in your face, right? Right? That made sense 20 years ago, 
right? Look like you're worshiping. Come on. Now, much more about authenticity. Be real. Be genuine. Because it turns the younger generations off when they see something false or fake. They've had plenty of that. They want something real, authentic. Uh, relationship over ritual. Younger generations care much more about relationship, about community. It's not that they don't care about ritual. It's not that ritual is bad. They just care less about religious practice than they do about relationship. Um, impact over in institution. Younger generations care more about the impact of a ministry than keeping a ministry going, right? Let the ineffective churches die. Let the effective churches grow. I want to be a part of a church that's impacting, that's making a difference. They want to be impacted and they want to impact. In fact, this is, this is a thread among younger generations, just generally, the, the rise of... Um, Oh, what do you call it? Activism. The rise of activism in the younger generations is huge. Most younger people feel like they're activists in some way, in some community, in some place. And a lot of that happens on social media. But they care about that. They want to change their world. Well, we need to harness that in the church for them changing the world for the gospel, right? Changing the world for Christ. Some practical uh, ways that this has come out and we're looking to have this come out. Modern worship singing and worship nights. We've been doing this. Um, we, we're leaning into more modern styles of singing, right? We've been doing this. This is not a surprise to us. Uh, we had a worship night this last year. It was awesome. We're going to do at least one more of those this year, maybe a couple more. Um, just a time to focus on worship. I'd encourage you to be a part of it when we, when we have the next one. Um, the children's wing. Uh, we set that up. Uh, we have a small children's ministry, you know, 10 to 15 kids every week. Why would we have a, a separate wing just for 10 to 15 kids? Well, the idea behind that is that half of young parents today, half of them, their highest concern for their kids is that their kids might be abducted. Like, when my kids were little, I, I thought about that. I was like, yeah, don't talk to strangers, right? But that wasn't like the highest concern I had for my kids, 50% of the younger generation, that's their primary, their, their highest concern is that their kid might be abducted. Well, why don't we have a place where they can check their kid in, know that they're going to be safe with people we've done background checks on, and when they go pick up their kid, we can check them out, right? Just give them that sense of security. Do we ever think a kid's going to be abducted from our children's ministry? No, but we need to address these issues that the younger generation is feeling, right? We're trying to do that. Uh, strong children's and youth ministries, right? Um, we we want to have these things available so that young parents will go, I want to be a part of that church because my kids will be cared for, right? And we're doing that. We're putting money into that, right? We hired Noah and Nikki, right? We're doing that. We're being intentional about this. Um, and I think we need to continue down this, this road. Um, renovating the facilities, right? We're seeing a lot of that, right? We're in the midst of it. Uh, eventually, this will look awesome. Uh, but in the meantime, it's going to look a little uh, in, the, in the middle. Um, for this next year, we really want to start creating some mentoring opportunities. In fact, we're looking right now at putting together a mentoring event where we can connect the older generations with the younger generations in, in, in some mentorship. Um, so we want to do that. We want to be 
be intentional about that and be doing that. All right, second vision point, community-driven. Community-driven. We want to create many opportunities for and connections between people. We want to create many opportunities for and connections between people. We want this place to be a place that's not, that's not some, something we just attend, something we just go to, something we just do on Sunday. But we want this to be a, a deeply integrated part of each of our lives. And for some of us, we go, it already is, right? This is a deeply integrated part of my life. This is my family. This is my home. This is, you're already there. We want to keep pushing in that direction and, and make it so we all feel deeply connected to this community. And we want to be intentional about that. We want it to be so interconnected in your life that if you were to lose this, lose us, that you would feel a sense of deep loss. That you would even be going, I don't even know what I'm going to do now. I've lost my family. Had somebody months ago who said, you know what, I've thought over the years about maybe leaving, you know, as changes were happening, I've thought about possibly leaving. But I can't go anywhere. This is my family. That's what they said. They said, awesome, that's great. That's what we should be, right? Uh, And most of us sense that. Oh, this is my family, right? I want to be a part of this thing. I don't want to go anywhere else. So we want to keep being a place where these deep connections can, can occur and lean further into that. We want to create an atmosphere on, at our Sunday service of participation. Uh, part of the reason why we're even configured in this configuration that we have is a sense of participation. Okay, For me, I don't know if you sense it. I've talked to some of you about who do, who do sense it. But I feel far more connected to you when you're three rows back than the old configuration where you could be 15 rows back. That we're close. That we're having, it feels more like we're having a conversation, right? Um, now, we want to go much farther than just moving some chairs around in this area. We want to move m- much further away from the giver-receiver model which is something like this, where you have one person giving and everybody receiving. That's part of what we do, right? It's, that's not going to go away. But we want it much more, a Sunday morning to look much more like this, where we are an in, interconnected group that are ministering to one another. Now, how we do this is a big question. It's something I think about on a regular basis. Um, some... Ideas I have get a little wacky and crazy because I push them to an an extreme. We need to find a way to make it workable that we can be ministering to one another. I would love for us to be a place where you have just as much chance of being encouraged by a conversation you had with someone on Sunday morning, by a piece of wisdom that someone shared with you on a Sunday morning that was not me, that someone get, come up, came up and give you, gave you a hug and asked how you were doing and you were able to share things with them, that you would have just as much opportunity to be ministered by other people here as you do by being ministered by me, right? I'm not saying my ministry is going away. I hope not. I enjoy teaching. That's what I'm going to do. I want to open up God's Word every week and teach it. It's what I've been built for. But I want to create more opportunities for interconnectedness of ministry between each other. Now, how we do that, 
We'll see. I know we tried pods. We might, we might go back to that. I know that's a, that's a bad word uh, for some of you guys who were like, oh, those were really uncomfortable or whatever. Uh, we might go back to something like that. I don't know. But we need to find some way that we can minister to one another and that it doesn't become a Ellie and Clark ministering and then Nate ministering and then Melissa giving you a few announcements and then you go home. We want to be a place where you're ministering to one another. So we want to lean into that. Again, I don't know how we do that, but we're going to keep pushing in that direction. Uh, creating opportunities for edification from the many different gifted people in the body. That's around the same idea, right? Um, we get this all over Scripture. This is part of what drives me on this, is that I don't see our current model of ministry in, in the early church. I don't. I'm not saying that there weren't teachers in the early church. There were. But it was much more interconnected, or at least they were called to be interconnected. Um, Ephesians 4 says, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow in all, up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. By what every joint supplies. He's using the illustration of a body for what we are, and you guys are all joints. We're all joints. And, and we're fitted and held together by what every joint supplies supplies according to the working of each individual part not just one part not just a few parts but each individual part then that causes the growth of the body for the building of up of itself in love i think we are stunting our growth when it becomes about me or about whoever's leading worship i think we're stunting our growth i want to release our growth with interconnected ministry how do we do that Hopefully you're brainstorming right now and writing a bunch of ideas down that it's going to be the next big thing that we're going to be doing to make this happen, right? Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to skip these. Same idea, okay? All interconnected giftedness is what the body of Christ is supposed to be about. Philosophical outworking. Family over business. You guys have noticed this for a while now. We're trying to use family language because language matters. The way we talk about things matters. So we talk about family meetings instead of business meetings because we don't want to be focused on voting and trying to get votes and, and vie other people to get on our side so we can vote for certain things. That's a business way to run things. We want to be about family and having discussions about things, right? Working things out like we would have in a normal family. You, you probably have had family meetings in your family where you sit down and, and discuss things, right? That's what we want to be more about. Which, by the way, there's a family meeting next week. It'll be short because uh, we want to vote uh, Dan Penner back on the board because he has to be voted in every so often. So next week, right after service. Um, so family over business, right? This is uh, something that's on our website. I think it captures it well. The church from the earliest days viewed itself as a family. That is what we strive to live and be at Grace Community Fellowship. We want to be about loving each other in a self-sacrificial way with Christ as the head of the family. Second philosophy uh, freedom over, over formality. That this would feel more like a family gathering than it would a lecture hall or a college classroom or a city council meeting. That this would feel more like a living room, which is part of the reason why we have it set up the way we do, right? More like a living room than it, than it would about some sort of formal meeting space. Third one, participation over passivity. 
I'm a firm believer in the fact that the current model of the church that is used in most churches in America is a passive model. We've created a structure in which there's one or two or three active participants in the service, and there's a bunch of passive participants in the service. I think we need to do things to change that. We, we need to move more toward participation with one another over the coming, sitting down, receiving, and leaving model. Some practical ways that we uh, are doing this or have been doing this um, is regular social events and encouraging informal get-togethers. I will say this. A couple years ago, when people would ask, what are the strengths of Grace Community Fellowship? I would usually say a couple of things. I'd maybe say more than these things, but I would always say these two things. One, I think we are super welcoming, right? When people come in and they're new, we love on them, right? I think we're really, really, really good at that. The other thing I think we were really, really good at is we just loved being together, right? We just loved every opportunity we, we had. We would find to be together and we would all try to be together. I think COVID has hurt that aspect. I don't know that that's a strength of ours anymore. Uh, these ladies that put together our events um, are working really, really hard and I feel, I feel for them because they put together these great events and we have 20 people show up. I get COVID's there. I'm not trying to give you guys a guilt trip. I just would, I'm hoping at some point we get back to this thing where we just can't wait to be together again so that we find ways to be together because I think that was pretty special. Uh, all church projects and work days. Uh, we have the, uh, not the Garden of Lights, what is it? Oh, Light of the World display that was out, out here, which is, was awesome. Hopefully you guys all got a chance to see that at least a couple times. Um, there's a lot of work that went into that, and a lot of that was just people getting together, groups getting together. Jane was running that, running that thing, and people would get together and enjoy working together. That's a big part of that. Yeah, we want to reach out to our community. We want our community to have something amazing to come see, and we want to even make that bigger in the years to come. Um, but a big part of it was for us just to get together. And the people that got together fellowshiped together, right? They're pushing toward one, one goal, and they, they, it turned out great. Um, we've been having these work days uh, where we get together and do the work in this room. Um, and those have been great. The people that have shown up for that, has there been fellowship going on with those 25 people that are showing up? It's been great. It's been really, really good. And we've gotten a lot done, too. Um, so we want to keep doing those kinds of things. Um, guess who's coming to, to, to dinner? Everybody who were, was a part of Guess Who's Coming to, to Dinner, which was this thing where some host houses uh, hosted dinner and some people who didn't know until Friday night where they were going, they knew they were going to go to someone's house, but they found out where they were going and the host didn't know who was coming and then these people came um, and had fellowship and a meal together. Literally, I haven't heard one complaint. Everybody's like, this is so amazing. Now, the only difference is there was, there's been a small turnout for that. We've probably been at 25 or something like that. Uh, so more people getting involved in that. Good way to do that. Uh, what I'd like to see us lean into more this year is small group interactions on Sundays and throughout the week. Now, again, I don't know how we're going to accomplish that. I know part of it's going to be about actually creating some small groups. We want to um, have 
probably f- at least five or six small groups meeting midweek, uh, either once a month, twice a month, every week. Um, so having more and more of a small group ministry, but also finding ways on Sunday morning for us to be interacting. Um, and we don't know what that's going to look like yet, but we want to lean into that. Uh, and, and I'll just say this, until we find the thing that works, we're going to find probably a number of things that don't work. Be a little patient with us in the meantime on the things that don't work. And be telling us that, that, that they don't work, um, but be patient in the meantime. All right. The last two will go more quickly. Trust me. Maybe. Um, okay. Building disciples. Building disciples. These last two are going to kind of overlap with some of the stuff we've already seen. I really like this uh, description of discipleship uh, given by a guy named Myron Rush. This is a disciple or a mentor or a leader is one who recruits people to follow his example and guides them along the way while he, t- he is training them to do what he does. One who recruits people to follow his example and guides them along the way while he, tra- he is training them to do what he does. That's what a discipler is, a mentor is. We want to create lots of opportunities for that kind of discipleship to happen. We're going to do that by making connections between disciplers and disciples. Connections between disciplers and disciples. Ideally, and we'll probably never reach the ideal, but ideally, every one of us should either be someone discipling someone else or being discipled by someone else or both. That we would constantly be in some sort of a mentorship relationship. I know for me, I can name for you, I can name for you right now a half a dozen people who have transformed my relationship with Christ, the way that I do ministry, because I spent time with these guys. And they built into me over years. I've greatly benefited from the mentorship that I've received in my life and the discipleship that I've received in my life. And we want to create those kind of connections between one another. Sometimes the the thing that holds people back from this is they say, well, I don't know that I have anything to offer. Trust me, you have plenty to offer. You just need to step out and and do it. Uh, Creating specific opportunities and ministries for intergenerational discipleship. Okay, we talked about this idea before. But we want to actually create structures to make it, um, to, to train you and how to have a discipleship relationship and actually get you connected in intergenerational discipleship. And again, we're going we're gonna to do some things to, to head that direction. We're going to work toward truly knowing others and being known. This is a... Uh, little snippet of actually our homepage uh, on the website. Be known, be loved, be discipled. This is something that we want to be about. That we don't want really anybody here who's regularly attending our community here to not be someone who feels like they're known in the community and loved in the community. And that they're being discipled. That, that maybe they're here for a year, maybe they're here for five years, maybe they're here, here for 10 years, but when they walk away, they'll say, man, that church changed me, right? And not because Nate was teaching every morning. Okay, that's part of it. But because uh, people were impacting my life directly. 
there are so many things in Scripture, I, I just got a few of them listed up here, that I, I, I think about them and I think about the practicality of them. I have no idea how you can do any of these things without being in a community that really knows one another. How can we truly care for one another as we're called to in many places, but 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that. How can we care for one another if we don't know one another? If we're just anonymous people who show up on a Sunday morning and listen to a message? How can we effectively build each other up if we don't know where you need your next rafter or window or you got to be known in order to build one another up. And we've got to know you. How can we correct one another? Colossians 3.16, how can we correct one another? That's one of those things that goes, if, if, you're, if you're trying to correct someone outside of real loving relationship, how's that going to come across? It's judgment, right? But you, you correct someone in loving relationship where they know that you love them and you're for them and you're with them on this thing, and that is transformational in a life. How can we be kind and compassionate to one another? Be kind means to do good in someone else's life. How can we know how to be, do good in someone else's life if we don't know that person? These things exist within community, in a truly relational community. And I think these things were easy for, I think all these are Paul, yeah, all these things were easy for Paul to encourage people to because he knew their communities knew each other, right? Got to have deep relationships. Some philosophical um, ideas here. Accountability over autonomy. Autonomy is the American way. Don't tread on me. I'm going to do my life. I'm going to decide what I'm going to do with my life. You decide your life. Don't mess with me. I'm an independent, autonomous human being, right? It may sound surprising to you, but most cultures previous to us and, and a lot of cultures that exist in the world today don't exist in a, in a, with a sense of autonomy. They, they exist within the sense of community. They're, they're one part of a community. They identify themselves as a community member. We go, we, our first identification is, I'm me, right? You're you. So we've got to push ourselves on this to go, I'm going to choose, at least with this group of people, to not operate autonomously, but to operate within an accountability structure. A couple passages on this. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. When was the last time that you exposed, you admitted your weakness with someone else in this room? Has it ever happened? Some of you guys have been going here for decades. You ever had a conversation with someone who you were like, yeah, hey, I just blew it this last week. Or I'm really struggling in this area. This is what the church is called to. This is what we're called to on a regular basis. This should be a normal part of life is vulnerability with one another. Again, can't happen outside of the context of community. And can't happen if we're autonomous and don't need other people. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. Again, how can this exist outside of a community that knows each other? How can I even know when you're struggling with something, if you're not real, if we're not real with each other about it. So accountability over autonomy. 
Depth over breadth. Listen to this statistic. Only 14%, 14% of 18 to 35-year-olds say they attend church because someone in their community cares about them. 14%. That means 86% of young people, if they do attend church, are attending a church in which they don't believe one person at that church cares for them, truly cares for them. That should bother us. It really bothers me. How do we, how do we stem that tide? How do we become a place where all of, of the generations, but if we're leaning into the next generation, that they know that we love them and we know them and we care about them? Barna's conclusion, by the way, of that particular statistic is not that they don't want to be known, that they don't want to be cared for in their church community. They've just decided that's not the place I can get that. In fact, most of them uh, show statistically that the place that they find that people care the most deeply about them is at their workplace. Gosh, we got to change that. I mean, I'm glad they feel cared for at their workplace, but that cannot be your, your community place. That cannot be the place where you're most loved and cared for, especially if you're a part of a Christian community. How can we change that? I actually think this phenomena is, is part of the reason why there's been such an explosion in what they call the house church movement. That 10% of, of Christians in America, evangelical Christians in America, now attend a house church which is a small group of believers that meets in a house every week instead of meets in a building like we meet in. I think it's because there's this real desire to be known and loved and be inside of a community that really cares about you and wants to know you and wants to affect your life. Now, I don't think we need house churches to do that. I don't mind the house church movement, but I think that's something we can create here. How do we do that? Even most mega churches, which tend to focus on breadth over depth. Every megachurch out there, their highest priority is, is to get people plugged into small groups, right? Because they know this phenomenon. You've got to have this relational thing going on. Uh, rooted over casual. <coughs> rooted over casual relationships. Rooted relationships. Relationships that actually mean something and transform lives over just people that you know. People that you see once a week and you say hi to and you give them a little hug. But rooted relationship. Some practical ways that we have been doing this that we want to keep doing. Uh, wisdom panels. This is that intergenerational discipleship thing. We've done a couple of those. I want to keep doing those. Uh, I find those to be very, very good. I, I think you guys do too. Uh, it's great to hear from people. By the way, I will say this to set up some of you guys who... I haven't asked yet, but I will ask. Um, even if your thing is not to get up and speak in front of people, that's not the people I'm looking for. Because those people are already getting up and speaking in front of people, right? I want you guys who don't normally speak in front of people to share your wisdom with us because you have wise things to say. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to point to Diane on this because she's super quiet. And like, if you go back to that wisdom panel week, like, she was the star, right? She was saying all these amazing things that it was great. Um, well, and Doreen's right there, too. She said a lot of good things, too. But, uh, uh, 
Uh, hermeneutics class. Uh, honestly, the, the primary reason why I'm doing this hermeneutics class is to disciple, right? To teach others to do what I do. I, I know a lot about hermeneutics. I know a lot about studying scripture and uncovering what the text is actually saying and being able to communicate that, right? I want to help others do the same thing. So we're doing this hermeneutics class, which is starting back up on January 12th. If you want to be a part of that, there's a book on the back counter there. Grab a book. That's a week from Wednesday. Starts at 6.30. Come. It's great. We're having a great time. In fact, we only did a four-week session in the, in the fall, and I think most everybody was like, why are we stopping, right? Um, but we're starting back up, okay? And this time it's going to be six weeks. Um, so come. Be a part of that. Um, it's it's going to be great. It's been great. Um, Things that we want to do more of, same idea here, small group interactions on Sundays and throughout the week. We want to create relational community on Sunday mornings, not a lecture hall. Um, we want to find ways to do that, uh, and small groups too. Uh, intentional one-on-one discipleship, we want to create opportunities for that. Again, this, some of this is overlapping um, because these ideas overlap. And uh, workshops, we're going to work on probably having at least one workshop this year in which we're focused on a particular aspect of, of practical everyday growth in, your, in life. Um, and we want people who know about that particular area to be speaking on those things so that we can all learn from one another. These are all things we're looking at to do this next year. All right, last one. In all of this, we want flexibility. I would say the standard way to do things in life in general, but definitely in church, is rigidity. We want to find the things that are working and that we're all happy with, and we want to, and once we're happy with them, we want to let the concrete set and it be this solid thing that's immovable. The problem is that solid thing is not going to be as useful as the years go on and as things change, right? So we instead don't want to be concrete. We want to be flexible. First point here, what has been done before will not hinder us from what God is doing now or in the future. This doesn't mean change for change's sake. This means change for a particular reason. Change because to do it a little different way is probably going to be a more effective way to do it now when there was another way that was done 20 years ago that was effective 20 years ago, right? What we want to do is be open to change, open to flexibility, because we know just because something was effective in the past does not mean it will be effective in the future. But change requires more effort, and there's more discomfort surrounding it. All of us who have gone through some of the physical changes in this room know there's been discomfort in the meantime, right? It's like, oh, this is not normal. But now this is starting to become normal, right? The way we're set up. And probably if we changed it again, then there would be some discomfort at that point, right? Um, that's just the way things work. One of the greatest examples of this uh, in the church that I grew up in, which I have a great deal of respect for the leadership of that church, the way that that church kind of did things, I learned a lot from, from that, is that they had this thing, uh, every Christmas they would do this thing called Sweet Sounds of Christmas. 
And it was awesome. It was a great ministry to the community. It was a great ministry within the church. Uh, it, was a, it allowed uh, church members to be a part of, of a drama and a musical program. Um, and they would fill that church uh, for uh, two or three weekends, Friday and Saturday night. Uh, it would be full of tables uh, and chairs and people in those tables and chairs. It was sold out like every year. Um, and a lot of it was was uh, was was people bringing their neighbors and their friends to this thing. It was a great outreach opportunity. It was awesome. Uh, it was actually something that Melissa's dad started and ran for years. It just was a really, really effective ministry. And it was really fun to be a part of it and really fun to serve in it. And no one was questioning whether it was effective in the time that it was effective because it was effective. We knew it was. But... Melissa's dad moved back down to Southern California, and some of the people involved in the drama, you know, weren't involved anymore. They, they were, were writing dramas every year. They, they stopped writing them, so they were, like, looking to outsource the writing, and things started to not be as good. Less people passionate about that, less people wanting to put it on, but do you think they kept putting it on? Yeah, they did. Why? Because it was effective before. And it was becoming less and less effective and less effective and less effective. I remember being part of a conversation that said, were there any visitors at Sweet Sounds of Christmas this year? It seemed like it was all just our people, right? And it was supposed to be this great outreach thing. Oh, but we got to keep doing it because Sweet Sounds of Christmas is so great. Instead of going, you know what? Maybe what was effective before is not going to be effective now. And we need to let that go. We need to let that thing die. But man, it was painful to let that thing die. I can tell you that. You can ask Mark Souter about it because he became the music pastor who they were putting all the pressure on him to make the Sweet Sounds of Christmas thing go. And he's like, ah, it's just not working. Let's not be like that. Let's not do that. Let's be flexible enough to go, you know what? What's, what's worked in the past may not work in the future and we're going to be flexible when we see a better way to do ministry here or a more effective way in this time, in this place to do ministry. We're going to move in that direction regardless of what's been done in the past. Some of the ways that we've done that, oh, here's something from the website. We are a church that chooses flexibility in the way that we accomplish the ministry and mission of the church. While our God and his word never change, we want to be, the op we want to be open and sensitive to the best ways to love and serve our community of faith. We really want to be about that. Some uh, philosophical outworkings here. Risk over retreat. Stepping out into something that may not work, that may be a total failure and a flop, Instead of staying back and going, oh, I'm just going to retreat into this place that's safe and comfortable for me, because then I don't have the chance of possibly failing. We're going to, we're going to choose risk. We're going to choose the possibility of failure, the possibility of tripping up and having to do something different. Effectiveness over traditionalism. Effectiveness over traditionalism. Keep in mind, this doesn't say effectiveness over the traditional. It's traditionalism. Things that say, just because this is traditionally how we've done it, it's the way we have to continue to do it. That's traditionalism. Traditional things are good. We do a lot of traditional things here in this church. And a lot of those things are still effective and need to continue to be done. But we're going to lean into things and, and make our priority what's effective. So if what's been done before is the most effective way to do it, we're going to continue doing it, that. If it's not, we're going to be open to changing that. Nimble over sluggish. Nim, nimble over sluggish. 
the longer ministries go, well, I'll flip this around. Church plants are super nimble. Guys who go in and are church planners and start new churches in places, they are nimble because they have to be nimble. They have to be able to change on the fly, to make things happen on the fly. That's the only way that they can survive. As a church gets decades into itself, it moves more and more in the sluggish direction. And that means even when there's a change that has to be made, that needs to be made, that's the best way to do it, it's like, oh, it takes really, 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 really long time to get it in that direction. And we want to choose to be nimble with our decades of being here as a church over being sluggish. Um, Some of the greatest examples to me of nimbleness has been this COVID time. Because we have done a lot of different things over the last two years. Can we agree? A lot of different meeting spaces, a lot of different ways that we're getting ministry done. And we had to be nimble to do that. We have to be ready to change when change needs to happen. Some of the ways that uh, we've chosen flexibility the past year or two, we've moved from pews to chairs, right? We're in chairs currently. Uh, We were in pews, I don't know, how long ago was that? year and a half ago, a year ago, uh, we're in chairs now uh, because we find that to be a more nimble way to operate as a church. Um, Regular renovation projects to update the facility to meet the current needs of our ministry. We're currently doing that, right? Renovations, but into the future. I, I hope this is still a principle that we live by 10 years down the road when the whole facility is renovated and we go, oh, you know what? We need to change this space in order to meet the current need of whatever ministry we have at that time. So continuing to do that. Uh, This is something I'd like to see us do this year. We do this a little bit already, but ministry leaders and their teams uh, at least one or two times a year meeting for evaluation with a willingness to release what is not working and embrace other ideas. That that conversation would happen in every ministry of our church. Every year that we'd go, hey, what's working, what's not working? Um, this, I think, was always a strength of uh, mine and Melissa's youth ministry over the years, is that every year we would have an evaluation retreat with our staff, and we'd go, what's not working? What's working? And honestly, some of those conversations were really hard, because some of the stuff that wasn't working was stuff I really wanted, stuff I really cared about. I was like, no, no, no we can't get rid of that. But they're like, it's not working. Ah, okay, I guess we got to get rid of that. Yeah, I guess we got to go in the more effective direction. And you definitely have to do that, do that with youth. Because youth are always changing. Um, We want to choose to be a place that is um, next-gen focused, community-driven, building disciples, our priority, and being flexible. And so hopefully as we make changes, as we do different things around here, I will try to couch that in these vision principles. Because most of the changes that we, that we will make, that we're going to make, will be based on trying to do these things and accomplish the ministry that God's called us to do here. On your right side of your sheet, which is hopefully full of all these amazing brainstorming ideas that you guys have been doing the whole service, right? Um, at the bottom, there's a little box. You definitely don't have to put your name uh, in there or your phone number, but if you... Um, want to jump, if you, you had an idea this morning that you're like, oh, I, I think this would really help us out in this area, and I want to lead it, 
right? Like Jane saying, hey, I want to lead these, these projects where we, we're building signs, we're building light groups. I want to lead that. Great. If you, if you have that kind of an idea and you put it on here, put your name and phone number if you want to. We probably know your phone number. Um, and, and say, hey, I want, to, I want to see about leading this. I want to see about starting this, right? But also a big one uh, is if you would like to be a part of uh, this vision team that I'm wanting to put together that will meet no more than once a month, but probably about once a month for about an hour. If you want to be a part of that and just contribute your thoughts, contribute your, your ideas, chime in on what's working and what's not working, um, just check that checkbox so I know that, that you want to be a part of that and I'll reach out to you about that. Um, because one of the things that I think is missing right now, I'll just tell you this has been my own self-evaluation, is that most of the ideas in the area of vision are coming from my brain. The problem with that is this brain is super limited, right? We need, I need other brains working on this thing. Um, and so if you want to be one of those brains, or you think you might want to be one of those brains, check that box. Make sure you, put, you separate those cards and put the, the right side in the baskets at the back. Let me pray for us, and then Melissa will give us some announcements. Lord, we are um, just really thankful to be a part of this church. Um, I am uh, especially thankful that you brought Melissa and I here almost four years ago now, and, um, and it's just so great to be a part of a group of people who love you, um, who want to follow you, um, and sometimes we'll disagree on how to get that done, how to accomplish the ministry here. Um, but uh, I pray that you would be the director in that, you'd be the leader in that. And if we need to change, if we need to modify, that you would help lead us uh, in whatever direction you want to take us as a body. And that we would be uh, willing to go in whatever direction you want us to go. Because we just want you to be glorified. We want your son's name to be lifted high. We want uh, you to be exalted in our lives. You, you, we want you to teach us how to love uh, each other and our community better. Lord, help us to be unified in the things that, that the, the overarching ministry of what we're here to do, and, uh, and help us in the details, too, of how to get that done. Pray this all in your name.